0: Reading is John chapter six, verses one to 15. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.
1: Thank you. And uh, we're thinking about miracles over the summer. Uh, Miracles are uh, difficult sometimes for people to handle and to get their heads around. So it's uh, not a small challenge that we've been given to think about miracles through the thing, through the summer. However, there is a miracle here. I'm sure they've been welcomed already, but I haven't got to do that. Dan and Laura brought a new baby, and I don't know her name yet. Lucy. Lucy. So is this the first time she's been in church? Fantastic. Welcome, Lucy. Let's give her a round of applause. (laughs) Oh, no, stop it. We're making her cry. <laughs> Thank you. So, let us pray. Father, as we reflect on your word this morning, will you speak to us and help us to see your word afresh? In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what your world view is, but I just want you to think this morning a little bit about how you approach the world in which we live and the things that you see and where your starting point is. Because often, we have a whole set of assumptions that lie behind what we think about things. And those assumptions have been taught to us through school, through our friends and others, and we may not even recognize them or know that they're there, but they will determine what we see when we read or or hear something and how we understand it. So if our understanding straight away is that we live in a scientific world and miracles can't happen, we'll read this story with one set of uh, lenses. And the outcome that we have will be very different from if we start with a different point of view where we think, well, maybe miracles could happen. We might find something else. And these unconscious biases, these things that are within us that we don't always recognize, are hugely powerful. I did some uh, what we call resilience training in in the diocesan office. I was receiving it for once rather than giving it. And uh, we showed showed this video. And it was designed to show us how our minds and our brains filter things even when we're not aware of it. So we were shown this video and it was great. Uh, It was two teams of people and they had a, a ball and they were throwing this ball around. And it was a challenge. You had to count how Many times the ball was passed between the two teams and it was going very fast. It was a great challenge. I liked that and I was going to go for it. I was determined to get this right. So we watched this thing and we saw these balls flying back. I was counting it like mad and everybody else was doing that. And at the end I got to about 13 and I thought I've got that about right. And then everybody else gave their answers and their answers ranged from about 12 to 15. And then the guy at the front said to us, how many of you noticed the guy in the gorilla suit doing a dance. Now, I tell you this, I knew the gorilla was going to be there because I'd seen it before. (laughs) But I was so keen to count the things that I didn't see it, even though I knew it was going to be there. And they showed us again, and sure enough, in the middle of all these things, there's a guy in a gorilla suit just going like this, acting like a moron. (laughs) None of us saw it. Even those of us who knew it was there, apart from one guy who was uh, very kind of, um, what we call, blue. He was very logical um, and didn't respond with this. Anyway, we won't go into that too much. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) but, you see, once we've decided what we're looking for, we often miss loads of other things. We may recognize that a truth is actually jumping up and down, waving arms at us, and we can't see it because our brains have learned other things. And I just want to remind us all that when we come into this church, whether we're Christians or not, we have come with everything that we've learned from the TV, everything that we've learned from our schools and our education, everything that our peers and our people at work have have told us. And every time people have said things to us, that shapes our brain. It makes connections. And so our brains learn that this is the way in which we see things. And so it becomes very hard unless we acknowledge that and step out and say, actually, there might be something else going on here. Am I open to do that? And I think this brain training and this way in which we learn and the unconscious by it, and the fact that we can't even see something as true because we know what we're looking for, probably explains a little bit about the divide that we have in the country at the moment. And why it is that people who are in favour of Brexit cannot understand why people in favour remain Think it's a bad idea. Whereas the Remain people look at the other thing, it's blindingly obvious. Why can't you see it? And the other thing, is, it's blindly obvious. Why do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like our brains have been conditioned and shaped and we can't see beyond. So today we're coming to a story that for some of us may be very familiar, and therefore we look at it and we already know what's going to happen. I find that sometimes that I hear Bible stories and I've heard them a hundred times and then somebody actually reads it and reads the words and I think, my goodness me, I never noticed that detail. I never saw it. Because I've heard it so many times and I've done it that I've already decided what's going to happen. And I actually almost don't need to listen because it's replaying already in my brain. So as we go through these stories of miracles over the summer, what might we see of Christ in that thing that actually might speak to us afresh. Or for some of us, these things talk about miracles, might be completely outside of our comfort zone and something that we struggle with. In that context, are we willing to open our hearts and minds to see something else? So what's going on? And I'm not really going to, you're going to have to work on this yourself as well, on the miracles. It's not just about me. It's about you thinking about what you're doing. But on the face of it, you have an everyday story of Jesus' life. He goes for a walk with some of his mates. They end up on a mountainside, and they sit down, and he starts chatting and talking to them. They're having a good time, and uh, the disciples are lapping up every, you know, I'm adding all these extra details. It's not there in the thing, in case you're wondering. But anyway, as they're talking, they look up, and Jesus sees this massive crowd coming towards them. And he looks at them and he realizes that they must be hungry because they've come a long way. And so he turns around to Philip and he says, "Um, where are we going to get food for all these people? And Philip, he knows that what Jesus is asking is completely impossible. So he just turns around and says, it's almost like he's saying to him, Jesus, that's a stupid question. Even if we had half a year's wages and went and bought all the bread in the area and locality, they only have enough for one mouthful each. Stupid question. Don't even think about trying to feed these people. And then Andrew, too, well, he comes up and he probably has the same kind of response going on because he's, well, I've got five small loaves and a couple of fish that this little boy's had. How many people's that going to feed? They had already decided, their whole life and conditioning and training had decided that this was an impossibility. So Jesus does this kind of extraordinary and unexpected thing. He takes these loaves and these fish and he prays over it. And then they distribute the food. And we're told that all the, the, everyone had enough to eat. And then they collected all these baskets full of leftovers. Just think about that for a moment. That's pretty hard to get your head around, isn't it? And if you're coming from the point of view where you think, well, actually miracles, that don't happen, because everything in our world has to be scientifically explained, then actually you're immediately going to start thinking there must be another explanation. And uh, I had a, a religious studies teacher at school who was ordained, and he uh, explained to me that really what was happening in this miracle was that when Jesus lifted up the bread, the loaves and the fish, and said, look what this little boy has brought for us and shared with us. Isn't he amazing? The rest of the crowd were so ashamed that they suddenly brought out their huge stash of food that they had been hiding from everybody else in case they wanted to take the food from us and started sharing it. It's a miracle. A miracle of sharing. And actually, that is a miracle and it would be a miracle. But, you know, I kind of think about that. And I think that you know, Jesus. This crowd had come rushing out. They'd been looking to Jesus. They hadn't done it, planned to come and do it. This isn't a kind of. There's a sermon going to kind of. Jesus is going to be preaching, and the placards are up all over the place. Bring a packed lunch, all that kind of stuff. They heard that Jesus, was there and they ran. They came in crowds to hear him. How many of them would actually stop to rip their packed lunches and make them before they went? And just for a moment, think about the disciples and who they were. These were guys who were pretty down-to-earth. They were fishermen. They were, uh, uh, some of them had been involved as, as, as teachers and, and so on. They were kind of down-to-earth people. Now, if they had been there present and they had seen Jesus do this and then they would witnessed all these people suddenly taking their bags out, opening up their food and sharing it around, they'd have known that, wouldn't they? Could they really have been that blind that they didn't recognize that everybody was sharing the food that they had already brought with them? I'm not sure that the Bible allows us to do that because the Bible is constantly challenging us to think beyond what we expect. And John, writing his gospel, is trying to say to us, look at this Jesus. Look at him and see that he is not just an ordinary man. Yes, he's fully human, but there is something greater, or as the start of the gospel says, the word made flesh God become a human being and you can see it as you look at what he had done. And another thing, all those leftovers if they come from everybody's packed lunches, wouldn't there have been fruit there? Wouldn't there have been other things in there, but a bit of cheese? Because how can you expect that 5,000 people all brought bread and fish and nothing else? <laughs> and when you think too that as John, who was writing this down and recording it, he was telling these accounts and he was choosing the stories that were really important. And this particular story is very important because it appears in all four Gospels. And when that happens, you know that this is very significant. He was trying to teach them something about who Jesus was. And of course, don't forget, he's writing it from the perspective of the resurrection. And you see, once you've accepted, in fact, experienced, shall we say, not just accepted, A man dying, seen his dead body on the cross and buried and rising to new life and walking and hearing amongst you, it's pretty easy to accept bread being shared out for others really by that same man. And so what John is saying to us, look, listen up, this is more than just a man. The miracles that he did were signs of who he was. And they are intended to bring you to that point where you realize that Jesus has a call upon your life that when he died on the cross to forgive us from our sins and to give us new life, actually he needs to be listened to because he has authority. And so that sign of the bread being shared was a sign of the authority of God working within him. That when Jesus blessed the bread, God heard and multiplied Isn't that amazing? And the call and the result from that is to worship. Just as Thomas, when he saw Jesus and put his hands in his wrist and the palm in the thing, said, my Lord and my God. That that is what John wants us to recognize. That this Jesus is my Lord and my God. And that that is the starting point for all our Christian life and experiences and that once we accept that God can work in ways that are outside of the, the normal boxes that we're given, that we can begin to see the world in a different way. I think that's one of the reasons why the disciples were able to go through a huge amount of suffering and still have contentment and confidence, because they saw the world in a different way. So if you ask me, "Why am I a Christian?" well, I would tell you that um, one of the reasons I'm a Christian is because I've read the accounts of Jesus, although I do need to read them again to notice the details I missed beforehand, and they make sense to me of the world, and I believe intellectually that Jesus died and rose again. Or it could be that I'll tell you it's partly because really people that I looked up to and inspired and loved taught me and challenged me and encouraged me. They made me think about things and they explained to me how I could believe the unbelievable Because not believing the unbelievable was more difficult than believing it. Does that make sense? (laughs) But also, it's because in my life I've experienced, and I look back, and I I hope all of us can do that, and seen some of the miracles of God. So I think of a, a man who sat there, Musa and his son, and they prayed because they had no fuel. And as they sat there, they watched the, um, the fuel gauge rise. I think of my Aunt Rosemary, who uh, uh, it turns out that somebody at Quakers Road knows her really well, because they lived in Lancaster. There you go. And, uh, but as she sat there, she'd had a, a massive accident when she was uh, younger with her children in the car, and her leg was totally twisted and deformed. And she went into a service, and as she prayed, uh, she was sitting there, it was about healing. Uh, she didn't go forward, nobody laid hands on her, but she felt the Lord say, Rosemary, I'm healing you, because what you thought this was about is not what it's about. And uh, she walked out of there without pain. And a week later, her friend came up to her, Rosemary. You're not limping. What's happened? And she explained that God had healed her. We he said, Well, show me. He said, No, I haven't looked in case it's still twisted. And she said, I'm not having that. She rolled up the leg sleeve, and the leg which had been twisted was straight. Or in my own life and experience, going, uh, being in Uganda, and it's great. Please do pray for those of us who go into Uganda, particularly for Sam and for Jonas and for Andy. We'll be in Uganda next. We can actually, will be openly up to see new ways, and seeing things. But we were in Uganda the first time Anita and I led a, a trip, and we were out in the middle of nowhere at a time when there was very little around, and a boy, Anthony, with us, uh, suddenly started having little fits and going in and out of consciousness. And we realized, partly because he was able to tell us, that he was dehydrated and needed salt. And there we were in the middle of nowhere with no salt. And we prayed, and at that very moment, a man stepped out of the bush, carrying a pound of salt we gave it to Anthony he revived and the guy disappeared how or brother Andrew who drove he recounts read his stories about God he's called God smugglers he drove these bibles into communist countries before the the iron curtain came down and as he drove sometimes they had no fuel and they prayed and the car just kept going for hundreds of miles on no fuel a little girl charity that we met in Zimbabwe who had been uh, so abused that her urinary and her excretory tracts were fused as one. And she needed a major operation and she'd been along to the specialist and they'd got the operation done. There was a prayer meeting beforehand and they felt God saying that we want to heal people. And she came forward and was prayed for and later that day they took her to the specialist for the final check. And he examined her and said, I cannot understand what has happened. She's completely healed. Now how we respond to those things, we can say actually there's a scientific explanation or we can see them as signs of God at work. And if they are signs of God at work as they were there for Jesus, then that changes everything, doesn't it? If we recognize God at work, if we recognize then that Jesus rose from the dead and we recognize that he promised to forgive us and to fill us with his Holy Spirit and to give us the strength to become the people that we wanted to be, that changes everything. But it's not just about you and me. Because you notice that bit that I forgot about in that reading? That actually Jesus saw these people, We had this encounter with the disciples, teaching them and opening them up. And what happened next? The hungry were fed. <coughs> you thought I'd forgotten about that, didn't you?
0: <laughs>
1: and that teaches us too that God is concerned for the people who are in need, those who are hungry, and he wants them to be satisfied and to be fed. And so this gospel we have is for all in the sharing and helping people to begin to see what God is doing. But it is also about transformation. It's about God calling us to live transformed lives that bring blessing to others way beyond what we have received. And that's our calling, to look at the world in which we live with all its confusions and pains and to live our lives in ways that are signs for people, of the hope that is in Christ and to reach out in service and love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the witness to your love that we see in your word. And we pray that as we reflect on the miracles of Jesus in these coming weeks and months, we might be inspired and encouraged to live for you, to open our eyes to see what is possible beyond all that we could ask or imagine. In Jesus' name. Amen.